You are about to listen to a message from Dan Moeller, a personal friend and family member of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. Dan has an intense passion to see the body of Christ walk in their identity, know the love that God has for them, and then properly show that love to everyone that they encounter. So prepare yourself to be inspired and motivated to be more like Jesus and to love like he loves to everyone that you encounter. Because you got me, man, you got me fired up. It's not a calm blue flame either. (laughs) Some of you are visiting. Some of you weren't here last night. Some of you are here for the first time. There was apparently a bunch of hands. I turned around a little and saw a handful. Who's this your first service this weekend? Your first time here? Just first time here? Wow, okay. Listen, going to speed do this, nutshell this. The whole goal of Christianity is becoming love. If we miss that, we've missed the whole point of why he came. He didn't come just to forgive you and send you to heaven. He came to pay the price to put heaven back into you. He wants the image of God restored in you. He made man for his image. The image was lost through sin, through separation from God. Man was made to be like God. Man was made to love, not need love. So when man got cut off from love, he became in need of love. So every man was born into Adam since that day, and we must be born again. Somehow we turned that into a prayer to benefit us instead of a prayer to restore us back to the beginning. Somehow we made the gospel all about serving us instead of changing us. The gospel's here to make us new. The Bible says never again to be conformed to the world, but transformed. How? By thinking like you've never thought before. That's literally what it means. By thinking like you've never thought before. Why do you do that? So you can prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. He expects us to understand him and know him through his son. And we've thrown the will of God around like a hot potato. We think it's almost heresy to assume the will of God. Who can know the will of God? And Romans 12 says that if you'll think like God thinks, you'll know the will of God. Ephesians 5.17 says, don't be unwise, but understand the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord is simple. It's the life of Jesus. Jesus' life lived is the will of God revealed. God's word is his will. It's very simple. Okay? So here's the deal. You, you can't let life speak louder than truth. You can't get caught up in people, places, and things. He said, she said, tit for tat. I'm just talking real fast, real plain for a second. All the mindsets, all the motives, all the attitudes we grew up learning and believing are normal are all under Adam and under the fall apart from the wisdom of God. That's what you're getting born out of. You're getting born into his kingdom. You're getting born out of complaining, born out of all this stuff that, well, I don't feel, well, I don't know why they had to. Well, that really hurt. Well, you tell me how you would feel. And all the justifications to be not like him need to die. Because Jesus didn't teach you to speak that way. Life did apart from him. You were born into a lie and a lie trained us and we were homeschooled in the wrong home and it's time to come home. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me. We have turned Christianity into a self-serving blessing and a prayer to give me comfort for the future. And it's a life transformed. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. The word glory means any manifest, made, seen, known attribute of God. The Christ in me is the hope of God being seen and known. We are the body of Christ. Oh, man, that is so good. See? So then you never get stuck just doing church. You become her. 
You never get stuck in tradition and religion. And you never just serve a doctrine. You become the word and it becomes flesh. And all of a sudden you don't have a confession. You have an expression. And then the world gets to see and know because you let your light so shine before man. It is no such thing as discouraged Christians. I'm telling you. It's unscriptural. We're to rejoice, and again I say rejoice in everything. Give thanks. You find a place of selfless thanksgiving because of the truth that's made me free. And yes, I'm in a press, and yes, I've got circumstances pending, and man, they made a bad choice against my life. But he is Lord, and I'm going to shine. Squeeze me, Jesus comes out. That's the point. Come on. I was in Alabama preaching like this, and a young man raised his hand. I said, do you have a question, or are you worshiping God? He said, I, I have a revelation while you're speaking. I think I understand what you're saying. And he, I said, how old are you, man? He said, 20. I said, stand up and tell me what you're hearing. I just took a risk. I figured if it was off base, we'll just fine-tune it, protect him, and just keep on rolling. So I said, stand up. And he said, if I'm hearing you correctly... Now that I'm in Jesus, there's no more, no such thing as a bad day. Every day is an opportunity to shine. And I said, ah, you got it. I looked at the pastor. I said, I know I just got here, but I can fly home. I just go see my family. We're done. He got it. They can get it. I'm out of here. And I was just having fun. I was in a Walmart and the lady was a cashier and I took a man in there and bought him a whole bunch of stuff because he didn't have nothing. He was homeless. He didn't have nothing. I thought he had a cast, but it was socks wrapped around his foot to keep his foot protected. It was oozing. It was messy. It wasn't fun. It's a long story. But I took him and, and, and he said, why would you do this for me? I said, I think that's the wrong question. Why wouldn't I? Young boy, I got all his nasty stuff and threw it away. We dressed him in Walmart, man. It was awesome. And, and took all his nasties. And I'm not telling you to carry him, but I threw him in the garbage and got rid of him. And, and, and the boy said, you don't even know this guy? You just met him? Yeah, he said, why would you do this? I said, why wouldn't I? He went, dude, fist bump me, the 18-year-old. He's, he got it. So I get up to the cash register. I got all these receipts. I said, honey, I said, this man's already exploited. People already got their eyes on him. He doesn't smell well. He's off the streets. I just wanted to help him. Bless him. He's really in trouble. I just met him. I just brought him in here to help. I hope it didn't cause a problem. I'm being honest. I got everything he's wearing in my hand on the receipts. I just wanted to get the nasties off and get the cleans on him. Here's all the things he's wearing. She said, oh, that's not a problem. That's no. She said, so you just met him? I'm like, yeah. She said, you don't even know him? No, because right, follow me. You don't even know him. I mean, I didn't buy him a coffee. I bought him new clothes. I bought him underwear. I got him socks. I bought him starter sneakers. They were red and black and white. And that dude had some swag to him. He was like, oh man, he he saw like these, he saw these like thirteens or something, and they were just new. And he was like, I'll take them. I said, dude, there's some dogs. I don't think you I said, let me go. I said, let me try these. I think we put some tens, ten and a half, elevens. I don't know. But he was just going to grab the thirteens because they're new. He put them on his feet. He couldn't believe he had shoes on his feet. He had a sock before a rag. I mean, wrapped around for a sock, a shoe. His other shoe was split wide open and a bare foot was hanging out. Slap, slap. He had feces just smeared all over alcoholic 40 years just living on the street drinking why because he got hurt by humanity he got hurt by government he 
he got took things personal. It's not their fault. It's probably his fault. He probably just got hurt, right? But he said, if I live this way, I'll pay them all back. I'll swindle. And every time I swindle, I'll win. And, and if I cheat taxes and cheat the government and don't work and live off of them, I'll win. He didn't tell me that. The Lord did. I told him that in the car. And he choked for the first time in 40 years and almost lost it and started to cry. That lady at Walmart took his, these receipts and she said, so why would you do this? I said, honey, that seems to be the going question. <laughs> he asked me, your 18-year-old back there asked me, now you're asking me. I'll tell you what I told them. Why wouldn't I? Look at him. He's a human being. Why wouldn't I? And she went, whoa. Walmart cash register, watch. You know, if the whole world thought like that, it would be a different place. And I went, ah, and I freaked out again. <laughs> she got it in five seconds. I said, I fly all over the country to get that point across, and you got it at a cash register in five seconds. This is good. <laughs> I went to drop that man off. You know what that man did? He wouldn't get out of my truck. He didn't know me. He wouldn't get out of my truck. I said, buddy, you got to go. I got to be somewhere and I got to get back home and leave town. I got to go preach to some kids. I told him I'd be there at this time. We've been together a long time. It's been fun. Thanks for letting me take you. You got to roll. He just sit there. He's mad at humanity. He is angry in his heart. He's swindling. He's making up stories for money. He's just saying, I need this. I need that. I need this. He's, he's saying, I didn't eat for three days. And then he buys a bottle of whiskey with the money. That stuff's going on for all his life. And people would say, religion says, oh, well, big deal. Why'd you buy him new pants? He's just going to poop on the new ones. He's just going to drink another bottle. What's the big deal? That's no testimony. Did you lead him to the Lord? Don't you understand? I'm giving him the Lord. Now watch. Now watch. Now watch. He won't get out of my truck. You need to get out of my truck. You got to go, bud. Come on. He's hee-hawing. I could tell you something on his heart. I said, man, Billy, if you got something on your heart, just say it to me. But I need to run. I love you, man. I need you to run. And he said, well, you know. And he lifts up his face. And for the first time in our whole time together, he looks me in the eyes. And he says, you know, I think I can say I love you. And I started bawling. So hard because the Spirit of God came upon me and said, see, Dan, nobody loves me first. My people say he needs to get the unforgiveness out of his life. He needs to quit drinking. He needs to get himself off the streets. He needs to deal with his heart. He needs to. Nobody loves me first unless they see my first love. So, Dan, keep loving the world. Just keep loving the world. And he said to me three times, I'm sitting there bawling now. I can't even drive. Don't hear this wrong. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But one and a half hour, 40 years of bitterness and deception and one and a half hours with Jesus, the heart of Jesus. And he's already breaking and he's already feeling like he can say, I love you. <laughs> I don't know if you understand the kingdom of God or not, but it is as if it's a man scatters seed. Goes to bed at night and wakes up and says, wow, how do you do it, God? Some men sow, some men water. All that was in Billy's life was a plowing of ground and a sowing of seeds. My goal isn't to lead him to the Lord. My goal is to give him the Lord. 
Give him the most powerful encounter that he can't escape from it, that he has to deal with it. That Holy Spirit has a voice in his life that overrides and crushes the deception and reaches deep into his heart and brings him home. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. I don't even know how I got on that story or why I told it. I have no understanding why. But man, it works for me. If you're squeezed, you want Jesus in your life. If you're squeezed, you don't want to go, ah. <laughs> Y'all all right? We're going to have fun tonight. This is where we've been in the last couple of days. This morning was intense, emotional. It was militant. There was a handful of leaders and people here and volunteers, and we had a fun time. Tonight's probably going to be a little different tone. Maybe not. I, it's going to be fun, though. No, it's going to be fun. I'm passionate. He gave his life for this thing. We got this little window called life. You get this little window, man. It's here today and tomorrow. In December, I turned 55. I can't even relate to it. I'm telling stories, and they're 35 years old. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I remember when I was going down the railroad tracks, and I'm like, I was 17. And like, I'm 55. I don't even, I don't even know what happened. And neither do you. No matter how old you are, it's like that. Because if you're 18, you couldn't believe you'd ever be. And if you're 30, you're starting to freak out. I'm just saying. And you can't account for the time. It's like here today, gone tomorrow, wisp and vapor. And, and we can't wait till we're 13. Then we can't wait till we're 16. Might as well get it on and get to be 21. And then we hit 25 and go, whoa, man, whoa, whoa. We like rush to get there and whoa. I don't even know what we're thinking. Slow down. That song, take a deep breath and enjoy this thing, man. You got one little window called life. It's a gift, not a grind. You got one little window called life to mark the hearts of humanity and leave a legacy and bring glory to his name forever. Please don't expend it on your flesh, false feelings and emotions and trivial earthly things. Please surrender and give it all. Say no to complaining, no to arguing, no to animosity, no to the need to be right, no to pride, no to competitiveness, no to jealousy. Say no to all those things that are non-productive. That actually those things give you a right to not be like him. <laughs> Just say no to all of them. Make the most of this little window called life. And mark the hearts of men. And make history forever for his name. Stand before him someday and be so glad you were a believer. Not a churchgoer. A believer. There is a huge difference. You guys all right? Okay. So he's talking about Peter. It's like, whoa. Peter's pretty zealous. Peter's outspoken. Peter waxed the ear of Malchus in the garden. We, Peter looked like he took a stand and was ready to fight and die. Got overwhelmed. Jesus corrected him. He pulled back. They bound Jesus, and he took off. And somewhere along the way, he did just what pastor said. He cursed and denied he didn't know him or that he knew him and said, I was never with him. Don't even know the man. 
at the supper table, they all said they'll give their life. They all said they'll die for him. They all said among themselves, we'll die. They all agreed and said the same. And he said, no, when the shepherd is struck, the sheep are going to scatter. You're all going to run and deny that you even know me. And among themselves, they whispered and said, no, we'll stand our ground. And every one of them scattered. God is so amazing. His mercy is so incredible. Are we making light of sin? We're making much of him. We're not making light of sin. We're making much of him. So many people are afraid to preach righteousness because we think we're making light of sin. We're afraid to talk about mercy because we think it's going to be some kind of passive thing in the people. And we'll just say, oh, well, God loves me anyway. That's not what I preach. You don't, you're not even listening to me preach if you get that out of the message. Because if you hear me preach, it's calling you to change or you get mad at me or leave or something. Because God paid a price for our redemption and transformation. See, here's how you know with grace is a perversion. There's perversion of grace out there. There's people swinging a pendulum way over here in liberty and just saying, you know, it doesn't matter. He loves us anyhow. You're always going to sin and God knows our trouble and that's why he sent his son and that's why he paid the price. And go ahead and do whatever you want to do because he loves you anyway. So then these hardcore people hear that and go, ah! And then they get more tight and more tight. And the tighter they preach and the more legalistic they preach, then this camp just gets even more. I'm telling you, it's happening right now on the earth. And here's Jesus in the amazing, beautiful, healthy, transformed middle. And then a prominent man or a respected man speaks out against the grace movement, the grace revolution, and tags it and names it. And then a new believer hears somebody say the word grace, and there's a red flag. And it's a shame because we are what we are by the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith. And it's always been about grace. And just because somebody perverts it and gives yourself a permission to sin and uses the word grace doesn't mean grace isn't a tool that God uses to transform a life. Here's how you know if grace is a perversion when it's being preached. If you preach grace apart from transformation, then you're enabling the flesh to remain the same and claim something that's not real. Grace is what transforms you. It's the working tool and power of God. Grace is God's willingness to use his power and ability on your behalf to sculpt you and etch you into what he made you to be in areas you're not able. Mercy gives you a chance when you deserve none and have none. Grace makes you like him. There's a difference too between the two. So you're saved by grace. So don't be afraid of grace. Listen, Peter made a big mistake. Peter messed up. Peter denied he even knew him. He wept bitterly, bitterly after that thing hit him in your Bible. Didn't he? And it hit him. Here's the truth. You can never change where you've been and what you've done. You can never change the snap decisions, the snap things, the, 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 the rash actions, some of the thought out actions that hit you later. You can't change nothing about a few moments ago and on back. But who you are can change. And as soon as who you are changes. The way I read my Bible. He will never see you for where you've been. He'll see you for what you've become. Through the blood of his son. Because his blood is speaking better things. Than Abel's blood. Are you following me? So you can't change where you've been. 
But who you are can change through true, sincere repentance. And pastor was touching on it and touching on it. And what repentance is, it's a change of mind. It's not boo-hoo, I'm sorry. Repentance isn't, <laughs> and you're just crying with no game plan, no revelation, no truth, no transformation. You're just, oh, because when you leave in that place, you have nothing to change you. Repentance is more than boo-hoo, I'm sorry. Repentance is, duh, what was I thinking? Duh, I wasn't made for myself. I'm made for his image. Rebound, er, change. Whoa, what was I so mad at them for? Why did I say that? That is not my place. I'm to speak blessing, not cursing. Whoa, duh. That's repentance. Repentance is changing the way you think. So Acts 2, 33. I want you to see something because it involves Peter, and it's amazing. Because Peter did not even know the Lord. I mean, that sounds like, cut off, dude. You've been like hanging out for how many years? How many miracles did you see? Didn't you like hang out by the fireplace with this guy? Weren't you one of the three on the Mount of Transfiguration? Didn't you see him turn inside out and the glory shine round about? I mean, come on, weren't you there, Peter? And now you're going to say, I don't even know him. And you were brought into the intimate secrets of the almighty God. And you're going to love your life so much after he showed you how not to love your own life. He took it from them. He took it from them, men and Pharisees. Peter, are you kidding me? And you can't stand, you weak-willed. That's how we think because we were trained that way. Makes a great talk show and people get involved. (sighs) Is this too much? Are we okay? Is it all right if we just bring it and talk the truth? Come on. Peter blew it and had more reason than anybody probably other than them as the other 11 to not blow it. He's in, not out. He's there, man. He got it straight from the lips and mouth of Jesus. He saw miracles. He, he was there when the tomb opened up and Lazarus come walking. Wow! He's the one that said, where would I go? No one else has the words of eternal life. And when he was given a chance to stand and not love his own life unto death, the power of death, the fear of death, the uncertainty of death rose up and won. I'm not blaming him. We'd all done the same exact thing. He was still blind. He was under the bondage of the fear of death. But he still did what he did. He didn't have to curse. He could have just said he didn't know him. Man, he made it worse. That's like double sinning or something. So Peter gets restored. How does he get restored? Jesus acknowledges him, notices him. I'll tell you when it started. It started when Jesus rose from the dead in John 20. And he saw Mary standing there crying. And she's supposing he was the gardener in verse 15. And he said, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, look, if you've taken him and put him somewhere, please give him, bring him back so I can take him. And he said, Mary. And she said, Rabboni. And she realized it was the Lord. Come on, this isn't a Bible story. This happened to a woman. This is real. She watched him beat and beat till you couldn't tell who he was. In front of her eyes, he got so marred and swelled up and bloodied and black and blue that he was marred more than any of the sons of men. And she watched him from beginning to end get transformed by beating. 
And she watched him die. And she was there when they wrapped him and put him in that tomb. And now he's standing there in front of her, alive and well. And he says, Mary. And she goes, Rabboni, don't think. She's like, oh, wow, it's you. She's overwhelmed, freaked out, just like I feel right now, but she was worse than me. See, you're too fired up. No, you don't understand. He's alive. He's alive. And she's like... And you know what she was doing. You girls are awesome. Like the guys are hanging out in fear. They won't go help her move the stone. They won't go with her to the tomb. They ain't going to take, well, why are you even bother going and taking the spices? He's already dead, and we already spiced him up. Look, you need to face the facts. He's dead. Get over it. Come on. We all feel bad, too. But why are you even going out there? You might die. What, do you always just keep loving your life? You're afraid? I can just imagine some of these conversations. Well, why would you go anyway? You can't even move the stone, you little thing. Well, if you guys would come and help, maybe. I ain't going out there. That's all speculation. But I think it could have happened. <laughs> but what's Mary do? She goes, Rabboni. And you know what she's doing? She's like, she's, like, she's coming, man, because the first words out of his mouth is, don't cling to me, Mary. She's like, Pew. she's like, Rabboni. Pew. She's probably in midair for 50 feet, man. She's going to rap and not let go. And he's like, don't cling to me. She's probably, ah. Right in midair. Guess what the first thing out of his mouth was when he said, don't cling to me. He said, I haven't yet ascended to my father. What he's saying is I haven't taken my blood to the mercy seat to make peace between you and God and get rid of sin forever. I haven't done that yet. I said it was finished on the cross. The beating necessary was finished to pay for the redemption of man. But the best is yet to come. And this is why I came to take my own blood. Not the blood of bulls, not the blood of goats, but my blood. And I'm going to go into the heavenly sanctuary, not made with hands. And I'm going to be a high priest between God and man forever. And I'm going to mediate. And I'm going to put my own blood on the mercy seat and your your verdict Mary is going to be mercy that's what he's trying to tell her you can read it man and you can see it and you better understand these things he said watch what he said Mary don't cling to me I haven't yet ascended to my father but go tell my weak willed low life backstabbing two faced <laughs> no good for nothing say one thing and do another pitiful choice of disciples that I'm ticked and I got a score to settle and that they're not worthy of my kingdom because we grew up in the world and in life we'd understand if he talked like that but because we've painted him as Jesus and we know him as Jesus we couldn't imagine him saying that well I got good news for you you're made in his image so you shouldn't imagine you saying that either So let me ask you why you are hurt. Why are you offended if you are? Why do you still have a track record? Why are you keeping in mind and you could play it out like it happened yesterday even though it was a year ago? Don't boast in not knowing him. Boast in becoming like him. He said, you go tell my brethren. They have done nothing right. Nothing. 
He'd come to him, man, and he'd say, now listen, just, you, you're the boys, right? You're the, you're the inner core, man. You, you're the boys. You're running with Jesus. You look like you could be. <laughs> and he says, now listen, listen, guys, I'm going to be turned over to the hands of sinful men, and you need to understand that the Son of Man is going to be beat and flogged and whipped and crucified. And they're like, oh! And he says, but you need to understand, on the third day, I will rise. And the scripture said, and their hearts were filled with sorrow. They couldn't hear he was going to rise. All they could hear is he's going to die because of self-serving. He's the best thing that ever happened to them. They couldn't hear you're going to rise. They only could hear you're going to die. That's why nobody was waiting at the tomb because what they saw overpowered what he said. Everything he ever said was true. He never lied. They knew he was faithful and true. And he said, on the third day I'll rise. But because it involved death and they had the bondage of the fear of death, they couldn't hear he's going to rise. All they could hear is, what, you're going to die? He said, Peter, flesh and blood doesn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven that I'm the Christ, the Son of God. He said, blessed are you, Peter. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Two verses later, get behind me, Satan, for you don't have in the mind the things of God, but the things of man. He's talking to Peter. Why? Because he said, the Son of Man is going to be crucified and turned over. And he said, no, Lord, none of these things shall happen to you. It's a self-preservation thing. He's saying, nobody's taking you from me. We call that friendship. Jesus called it the devil. Here's what it is. I love you. Do you love me? What it is, is I love you for what you do for me. I love you for how you make me feel. I love you for the rock-solid way you plant my feet. I love you. Don't ever do me wrong. It's not love. It's need. It's selfish and it's flesh. And that's why there's so much pain behind the words, I love you, on this earth. Just might as well talk about it. Man, I feel the gospel. He comes up from the dead. Them boys did nothing right. And he said, go tell my brethren. It's a family term. It's a covenant term. You know what he's saying? They already know what they did. Their minds are eating them alive. Here's what he's saying. I haven't changed my mind about you. I see you the same as before you denied me. I see you the same as before you ran. I see you for what I saw when I called you on those beaches. Yeah. Do you know one of the disciples ran right out of his clothes? It's recorded that this, this disciple, he's running through the trees naked. Because they grabbed him and held on and he ran right out of his threads. Now, I'm not sure about you, but if somebody runs out of their clothes, they're probably trying to get away. They're probably not dying for the king. They're probably not laying down their life. If you're running naked through the trees, you must have tried to get away. <laughs> so what's that place leave you? Naked and ashamed. And all of a sudden, they're back to the garden. Wow. 
You go tell my brother. He comes back and he says, peace to you. He walks in the room and interrupts their fear fest, man. It says they were assembled for fear that they were not interceding and praying. They were fearing for their lives still. And he understood. He's compassionate. He walked in and said, peace be unto you. What was he saying? You now have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ being justified by faith. Why? Because his blood was on the mercy seat speaking better things. If he told Mary, I'm going to the Father, did he? He popped back in on the same day in the evening. And the first thing out of his mouth, peace to you. Why? He just went and made it. Yeah. And then he showed him his hands and showed him his side. And they rejoiced when they saw it was the Lord. And the first thing he said out of his mouth after that was, peace be to you. It's a different peace. It's not the first peace. This is the peace that, because when they realized it's the Lord, what hit them? Oh my gosh, we failed him. We've done nothing, he said. Oh my gosh, I denied him. I cursed that I didn't even know him. And here he stands making peace. He's so loving. He's the same. Remember, we fished all night and didn't catch nothing. Throw the net on the other side. 153 large fish. And he goes, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. What's the first thing that hit him? In the holiness of God, in the goodness of God, in the love of God. That conviction that I'm not like you. Why does Jesus forgive you and show mercy? Because you can be and he wants to pay the price for you to be. That's not missed the point. (laughs) He said peace to you the second time. Why? Because as soon as they realized it was the Lord, what started to hit them? The guilt and shame of their denial and betrayal. So the second piece to you was comforting him saying, look, I know exactly how you're feeling right now, but I'm not like that. Don't you be like that. I haven't changed my mind about you. Here's what I need you to do. As the father sent me, they haven't done one thing right to this moment. As the father sent me, so I send you. And then he breathed on them and said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I preach this all the time. You've probably heard me preach this before, but it's so powerful. And if you've never heard it, this is amazing. He breathes on them. He could have said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He holds all things together by the word of his power. Why did he breathe on him? Because he's the redemption of man. He brings man back to original value. How did God make man in the first place? What got lost through sin? Everything in that breath. And man got reduced back to a form of what he was created to be. Before God breathed into him, he was just a form. He was an intention. God breathed. He's a living being. He sinned and got separated and went back to a form. So Jesus being the redemption of man, his blood speaking better things, what did he do? As the father sent me, so for God, so how did God send the son? Love. We always think power. We always think miracles. We say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we say, well, there's no cancer in heaven, so there's no cancer on earth. And he gives us a precedence to pray and have confidence against cancer. I'm not saying it's wrong, but we always think the power of God instead of the heart of God. Your will be done on earth as in heaven has a whole lot more to do with the heart of God than the power of God because everything that he does flows through who he is. So if there's no animosity in heaven, why is it on the earth? If there's no unforgiveness, offense, tit-tat, pit... Yeah? Yeah? Come on. You know, you get in a little self-centered spat with somebody and probably heaven and the angels are like... 
what are you doing? <laughs> and you think you have a right. And they're like, what? What's going on right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As the Father sent me, so I send you. <sighs> Breeze in them. Receive the Holy Spirit. What did he do? He took them back to day one because of his blood. Lamb of God who, what's he do? So if he takes away the sin of the world, it's not here. You still need to repent of it to walk in the fulfillment. You still have to have the change of heart. It doesn't just come on you. That's the false grace that's out there. Repentance is always there. Repent for the kingdom of God here. Change the way you think. His kingdom's here. Repent and be baptized for the mystery of sin. It's always about repentance. Because without changing the way you think, you'll bring new wine into an old wineskin and it'll burst. Again and again and again. He wants the wineskin new so it can contain the new wine. Yeah. Man, I'm preaching good. I really am. I feel it, man. I just feel the gospel all over me. That's all I can tell you. It's his fault. The gospel is all over me right now. I love it. It's a humbling thing to see it and be passionate about it. Give your life for this truth. Yeah. Be that faithful servant that took four and it turned into eight or took five and it turned into ten or took two and it turned into four. Because he said if you're faithful and it's been given to you, even more will be given. And if there's somebody out there that's burying theirs, he'll just give that to you too. Read the parable. As the Father sent me, I sent you. What did he do? He took him back to day one as if sin never happened. As if they never ate the tree. Now the tree's still there. The knowledge of good and evil is still there. And the serpent's still talking. In every one of your lives. The command is follow him. The tree's never going away. And the voice probably won't silence. But the command is follow him. So forget about the tree and the voice. That's not God. And follow him. My sheep hear and obey my voice. This is why it's important. This is why we preach identity. You have to know who you are. You have to know you're his. You have to know you're accepted and beloved. You have to know you've been washed clean, forgiven, and righteous. Like you got to wake up and understand your place through him. Because my sheep hear and obey my voice and a stranger's they won't follow. He didn't say you won't hear it. You won't follow it. To say you won't follow it means you are hearing it. <laughs> now here's the point. Why does he call the other voice a stranger's voice and how do you know the difference? When you know who you are. And you know who you've become through him. The stranger's voice sounds strange. That's why you won't follow it. It's like, what do you mean I'm not worthy? What do you mean I'm shamed and guilty? What do you mean he doesn't love me? Are you kidding? Do you know what he did on the cross? If you know you're his sheep, you'll hear and obey his voice. A stranger's you won't follow. Why won't you follow? Because it'll sound strange. But if your identity's marred and you don't know who you are and you have low esteem and insecurity and you're still trying to find your identity through people, the stranger's voice will sound rational. And you'll believe it and you'll ask for prayer and never get free. Because it's not ministry that sets you free. It's truth. 
So if you're just praying to feel better, you're being deceived. You need to believe better. Because believing changes everything. Yeah, man, I'm on a roll right now. I better be. I'm in your pulpit, and you preach good. I love you, dude. I could have listened to you all night, man. But I'm not doing bad listening to Jesus in me right now. <laughs> Don't grow weary in well-doing, sound folks. Can I have Acts 2.33? <laughs> Is it going? Did it evaporate? Is it? Oh, it's still. And you know what's awesome? It still says the same thing. It hasn't changed. Don't you like that about God? No matter what you're going through, no matter who did what and how you yeah, feel, you yeah, open the book, exactly. it's the same. Yeah. So why would you change? Yeah. Oh! <laughs> wow! This is good news! Who's talking right now? Not me. Who's talking up here? Who's talking on the, in the scripture? Do you know? Peter. Peter. He's the guy that said, blankety blank, I don't even know him. Stop blankety blanket putting that on me, man. I don't know the man, blank. I mean, I'm telling you. He denied him. Now he's standing there filled with the spirit of God. God uses him as the spokesman. He's the first anointed spirit-led message in your Bible. Peter, the I don't even know the man, dude. Ja. He said, wow, I'm just going to make an exception. I usually don't start at a therefore. Why don't we just start at verse 34? Please don't say therefore. Okay. Now, as I read, if you will, just scroll with me because I'm not going to preach anything until I get to a certain point. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Who's he talking to? The Jewish people and everybody that was there. There were still tons of people there because of the crucifixion and the whole thing. I mean, there was people everywhere. They were there of all languages because when they all spoke, in, they said, they're all speaking in our languages. There was a lot of different people there. The place was packed. But who knows the people that said Barabbas and the people that said crucify him were there. That's intense. So let make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, surely here's where it gets intense. Wow, Peter's on it now. This is the Holy Ghost. Watch. Let all the house of Israel know, surely that God has made this Jesus. Watch what he does to the people. He's made this Jesus whom you crucified. Both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, that's right. When they heard this, they were what? You study that out. It's an extreme expression of emotion and overwhelmingness. I think tearing their clothes, pulling their hair, and screaming uncontrollably. They weren't like, oh, bummer. <laughs> Dude, you mean we killed our Messiah? Yeah, I hate to break the news to you. You guys were pretty deceived. You killed your Messiah. Bummer. No, here's what happened. Let me show you what happened. Holy Spirit's there. The promise. He's there. And he took all the blinders off of them and all the hardness. He went right through all the cracks and crevices of, of hardened, foul, fallen humanity. And he went right inside the heart. And when he said, you crucified him, they saw it. 
and they knew they were guilty of the death of the Son of God. They knew. Cut to the heart. Blinders. Extreme emotion. Are you kidding me? Yeah, almost like way worse than that, though. Just That's what they did, man. They freaked out. That was perfect. Out of the mouths of babes, he's preaching the gospel. It's good. I'm going to always preach the gospel. They said, can you back up to cut to the heart, please, for me? Just bear with me. Thank you so much. Watch this. Watch this. Watch. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter, watch. And the rest of the apostles, watch. It's not. See the question mark? It's not a question. It's a statement of hopelessness because they have a revelation by the Holy Spirit that they're guilty of killing the Son of God, their long-awaited Messiah. They were so deceived, and they're picturing going, crucify him, give us Barabbas, away with the blasphemer. Let his blood be on us and on our children. And what they said in disdain, he fulfilled in love. Watch this. They said to the men and brethren, what shall we? It's not a question. They're saying, where do we go from here? What can we possibly do now? What? What were the most hopeless of men? He sent the Messiah. We were deceived, religious bound. And we killed the Savior. It's not shoplifting. It's not 75 and a 45. You've got to understand this is not just letters on a page. It's not a story. Holy Spirit went and they saw what they did. And there was no holds barred, no getting around it, no sugarcoating it. They killed the Son of God, people. And they went, ah, where do we go from here? We're hopeless. We're finished. What can we do? There's nothing to do. You can't make up for it. There's absolutely nothing to do. It's not a question. It's a cry of despair. But Peter has an answer. And Peter knows firsthand the answer. Because he received that same mercy and answer. And he said to them, repent. This kingdom will never come upon your life. You can never live until you die. You don't receive him into your heart. You die. Yes. Yes. You don't pray a prayer to go to heaven. You die to everything you've ever been and at everything that's ever been towards you. You die and you call it dead. That's why we water baptism. You know why water baptism has slipped away from the body of Christ at large and it's an annual event, if that? Because we preach salvation, not transformation. We're trying to get everybody to heaven instead of heaven in them. And then they live in fear, condemnation, shame, fear of the past, regret of the past, pain of the past. And then we spend countless hours and set up mega ministries to minister to dreams, impressions, feelings, emotions, and memories. And we're always trying to feel better instead of become like him. And we think we're helping. And we're going in one big circle, teaching men to live by how they feel instead of what they believe. Oh, I know it's true. 
and you can crucify me for it. That's the best you can do. And I still won't die. <laughs> Repent. Who's talking, Peter or Holy Spirit? If it is Holy Spirit, is it God the Father too? Right? So is God talking? Or is Peter? So the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. So is this God's answer? Guess what he's saying to the people that killed his son? Change your mind. Wish you didn't do what you did. Get baptized to assure you're forgiven and clean. In the name of my son Jesus for the removal of what you did. And you'll receive the gift of Holy Spirit and become my very son. That's God's answer to the guilty men that killed his boy. He didn't say, I'll get you for this. You so disrespected him. I saw you over there. Yeah, you over there. You were the one that spit on him when they had him on the ground. That ain't what he did. He said, if you'll change the way you think and wish in your heart that you didn't do it and know that if you had a chance to do it over, you'd do different. I'll see you as the people that never did what you did. And I'll absolutely anoint you and fill you with my very spirit and make you sons. That is amazing. And it sounds too simple and too awesome because we think it can't be that easy. And Paul says, I'm concerned for you, O Corinthians. I'm concerned for you, O Corinthians, that as Eve was deceived by the serpent, you also have been removed from the simplicity that's in Christ. Did God really say? You better believe it. He told the people, guilty by the conviction of Holy Spirit of the death of his son, wish you wouldn't do it. And if you could go back and change it, you would. That's a good answer. I'll never judge you for the men that did. I'll judge you as my sons. Now be filled with my Holy Spirit. So they go into the waters of baptism, repenting and say, God, if I saw what I saw now, if I saw it then, I wouldn't have yelled Barabbas. I wouldn't have spit on your son. I wouldn't have hit him with that club. I wouldn't have kicked him when they drug him by. God, if I saw what you showed me today, I would have never done what I did then. Please have mercy on me, God. And you die in the likeness of his death. And if you die in the likeness of his death, surely you'll rise in the newness of life. Holy Spirit midwife hovering over the waters of baptism takes the little baby. Look, Papa, another baby boy. Ain't he beautiful? If you're a good pastor like me, you'll hold them under till every bubble stops. I've learned that the la- after the last reflex, if you wait 40 seconds, you got them. You got them. And because you're in faith, you've assured death, right? So they ain't going to backslide, nothing. And when you pull them out, <gasps> new life for Jesus Christ. So we're having a baptism. <laughs> and I got some big men to help me. That's going to stick if you do it that way. (laughs) So how is God seeing the people that killed his son? As if they've never sinned. Watch. 
for the remission. No, I'm sorry, the, the verse we were on. Watch. For the remission. What's remission mean? The complete removal. Yeah. The total absence of. Yeah? yeah? I had the most incredible encounter with God in a courtroom because I'm not usually on that side of the courtroom. <laughs> but I was driving. I haven't had a speeding ticket since I was 23. And I was bad back then. I had so many. They didn't want to insure me. And I learned hard and fast. And I said, oops. And my wife wasn't happy. And I said, okay. And I changed. But I was on my GPS looking. I'm going to travel to preach. I'm going to an area. I haven't had one of them speed zones. You know what I mean. Like you're driving 45 for a long way. And then it's 55. And you're driving 55 for like this long way. And all of a sudden you hit a couple blocks of houses and a garage and And you didn't catch the sign because you're thinking about where you're going. You just didn't see the sign. And it went from 55 to, it ramped down to 45 and then 25. So I thought I was in a 45, it went to 25. And I never saw it. So I'm just rolling through. Well, it's it's a three block, two block stretch. And guess where the officer's sitting? Right in the middle of that baby. And I'm like, Whoa, policeman, I wonder what to speak. And I look it up, my GPS and stuff, and I thought, hmm. And I think by the time I looked and realized I was already in the 45, I think my little GPS was telling me 45. I'm like, oh, I'm good. I was going like 49. I thought, I'm good, but it was 25. And all of a sudden, she pulls out, whoop, whoop. I was like, whoop, whoop. <laughs> so I pulled over. He, I told him I'm not from the area. I'm trying to use my GPS. I'm so sorry, man. I'm telling you, I'm not a 49 and a 25, dude. I'm just not. He said, where are you heading? He said, well, I said, no, I'm a preacher. <laughs> I said, listen, man. He said, well, you have some options. He said, you can plead uh, guilty with an explanation. You can plead not guilty. I said, I was guilty. I said, just didn't realize it was innocent, but it, I was wrong. He said, well, then if you won't. I said, man, I haven't had a speeding ticket since I was 23, man. He said, well, then, you know, file it that way. So I did. I had to go the whole way down there on the day that day. I wrote them a little note. I didn't think they'd listen, but I told them I'd travel every weekend. If they could please schedule me on this day or this day, that would really be a blessing. But I would love to give my explanation and follow the mercies of the court. So they gave me a date, and I showed up. And I'm in the pen, man. I'm in the pen with all the offenders. <laughs> like, like the whole crowd that needs born again. is. We're all sitting there. The violators, the speeders. <laughs> I'm like, no. I was just sitting there thinking, this is not the side I'm on. <laughs> and uh, they called my name. I walked up there. said, Dan Moeller, da-da-da-da-da, and told, said what my offense was. He said, you're uh, filing guilty with an explanation? I said, yes, Your Honor. He said, what's your explanation? I barely started getting anything out of my mouth, and he used a court term, a judicial term, guilty without probation, something, something. And he said all he needs to do is pay the court cost of $60 and be done with it. And he just wrapped it up so quick, he hardly let me talk. And I went, really? And, well, he, I, I had my driving record with me. I said, well, Your Honor, I said, I would like to state that I haven't had a 
speeding tickets. I was 23. I was in an unknown area, and I went through a speed change, and I glanced at my GPS to make sure I knew where I was going, and I got, it was just a bad timing. And he said, wait a minute, you don't have any, nothing since you were 23. And he said, where were you heading? Where, why were you in an unknown area? Well, I was heading down to Delaware. I'm actually a preacher. I was going, I wasn't going to pull that card on you. You're asking me. I'm just telling you I'm a minister. I was heading to preach the gospel, and, and I got stopped for 49 and 25. Your Honor, I'm not a 49 and a 25. He said, court rules, bam, probation without something, without probation or something. And, and I was like, okay, I guess that's good. Because my whole fine was all I had to pay was $60 for the court cost. So he said, next. And the guy started to yell out the next guy out of the box. And I said, excuse me, your honor. And he said, yes, sir. I said, I am naive to all this. I don't understand judicial terms, court terms. I said, I don't know what that means, what you just said. He said, it means we're, we're sponging it, we're washing it away, we're taking it out of your record. I said, so, now here he is sitting in a robe with a gavel. And I said, so, in other words, this isn't going to show up on my driver record, it won't affect my insurance, it was just this humble, simple mistake, it won't show up. He said, sir, it'll be like it never happened. And the Spirit of the Lord in the courtroom just came right on me. <laughs> Oh, serious. You talk about a revelation. I'm like, thank you, Your Honor. And I went over and I got my little printout paper. I get out in the hall and I had to go get in the line. All the people out of that box were paying up whether they won or not. So one guy said, and he said, have you ever been in here before? He said, well, yes, sir. Uh, he said, when? He said, about six months ago. He said, guilty, pay your fine. He was like right before me. I'm like. I felt like the lion on the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> no, I'm just having fun with you. You know why we're laughing? Because it's probably going to get intense. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just having fun. I got out to pay my fine. The lady standing in front of me, she turned. She said, you are so bold. I'm thinking, really? I said, I was nervous. She said, you are so bold. She said, yeah, I he said the same thing over me, guilty without probation and something, something. And I didn't know what it meant. I just was so scared I wanted to get out of there. <laughs> and she said, and when I heard you ask him, because they were taking the time to print my paper, and he ruled you so quick that I wasn't out of the room yet, but I was at the door. And she said, I stood for a second, and I wanted to hear his response, but I was scared they'd yell at me for staying. <laughs> they weren't even looking at her. She's just petrified because she's not used to being in that box. So she just took off out there thinking, I wish I knew what he said. So this was phenomenal. I'm standing in this line in the court, and there's people all around. It's a court. It's a, it's a place where there's just so much going on. So I'm standing there, and she said, so what did it mean? I said, honey, it was so amazing what it meant. And I'm excited. The Spirit of God was just there, and I'm excited. I'm not trying to be like. And I said, do you understand the gospel? Do you understand the power of the cross and how the Father sees people that repent, that do things, whether in ignorance or willfulness, but their heart changes and they wish they didn't do what they did? And I said, listen to what this means. And I said, bam, bam. And I preached the whole gospel while I was in line to pay my. And I had people everywhere just kind of standing, acting like they were waiting on something and they were already done. I had people standing everywhere just listening. Because I was excited and it was powerful. And I was like, Ugh. 
And she said, that's awesome. Wow, that's beautiful. I said, yes, honey, that's just how God would see your life. Do you know the Lord? Ah, and I just went for it, right? And I had people hanging around, standing around, acting like they weren't listening. <laughs> people are funny, man. I was on an airplane, and this dude in front of me was reading a book, and four, 14, 15 minutes later, I look up, he's on the same page. I felt like reaching up going, eavesdropper. <laughs> He's sitting there like this, camouflage. I'm thinking, man, at least turn the page. Turn the page, man. <laughs> Are we okay? Did we loosen up and have a little fun there? Can I get back on something here? So God sees them as if they never did what they did. Is that true? Do you get that? So who's ever heard people, who's ever heard people say, yeah, but brother, we're always going to sin. We're never perfect. You know, we're always going to sin. It's a fact, fact. It's the reality of your life. What are you saying? You're perfect. What are you trying to say? As soon as you preach on righteousness, what are you trying to say, man? You know what I'm saying? Do you ever hear anybody talk like that? It is so deceived. It so reveals that you don't understand the gospel. It's so contrary to the mindset of the gospel. We think our ability to sin makes us sinners. We think our ability to fail makes us failures. But he calls us sons. And he said, unless you make the tree good, the fruit will never change. So what you see yourself to be is what you'll produce as fruit. It is such a deceptive lie to boast in your ability to sin instead of his ability to make you righteous in his sight. And I'm going to prove it to you scripturally if you'll let me tonight. Because if you don't see how God sees you, how will you draw close to him and have intimacy? The reason people don't have intimate face-to-face -face relationships with God because they don't see how God sees them and they're veiled. And if they do get alone, they don't know what to say. Countless people, well, I try to get alone and then I just don't know what to say. It's because you get conscious of yourself and you take 20 minutes to get past yourself to try to get to him and he's already there. What would happen every day if we, his people, would wake up and not think about not trying to sin or doing right and not doing wrong? I wonder if we'd just wake up and enjoy being his. I wonder if we'd just wake up and actually believe he loved us, forgave us, and cleansed us, and that we're pure in his sight in that moment. What would happen in your convictions and in your life, and how would you be empowered by grace if you went to the sink and, and, and you were brushing your teeth and you get the foam all there and your hair's got a little bent, and instead of going, ugh, I got a lot of work to do, you'd be like, you are so awesome, man. God loves you so much, dude. Yeah. Yeah? And all of a sudden you say, Father, I thank you for my job. I used to dread that thing. I used to think it was a grind. But now I see life's a gift, man. My job's a mission field. This is awesome. I'm a full-time minister. Man, I'm walking in the light as you're in the light. And this is going to be amazing. And God, I just thank you for the well-being of my boss and my coworkers. And you're going to empower me today. I'm going to see things about them. I'm going to manifest you because you want to shine through me. And I am so willing. I'm done complaining. I'm done being angry. I'm done being weary and well-doing. I'm done being frustrated, discouraged. Thank you for changing me. What a day. Yeah? See? See? That's up to you. Now you can start living that way. It's called belief. It's called faith. It's called a believer. Or you can believe feelings. You can believe your boss. You can believe your co-workers. You can believe your emotions. You can believe whatever you want. But he's called you to truth. Oh, it's so good. So watch this. Did you ever hear anybody say, well, brother, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth's not in you. Do you ever hear anybody pull that one liner out? Yeah. 
When you talk about being free from sin, you talk about not having a consciousness of sin and a consciousness of righteousness, and people say, yeah, but brother, we're always going to sin if you say you have no sin. Do you ever hear anybody pull that card? Preachers are notorious for pulling that card. So if I could use you folks up there in that booth and you would be able to help me. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Let's start in verse 5. And let's just break that lie. Let's slay that cow. And then we're just going to move on to a couple scriptures and we'll be done. And I promise you, you will be way in power. Okay? Because I'm telling you, this, this, what I'm about to preach right now freaks me out and gets me more excited than anything I preach. And, and I... Th- Thought I was fired up a little bit ago, but I'm just getting there. (laughs) I've been calm. I've been calm compared to what I'm about to be because the scripture, the word of God, and yet Bible preachers, people with seminary degrees. Well, yeah, but we'll never be perfect, brother. We're always going to sin. We have to face the reality. We're always sinners. We're imperfect people. It's not cool. The Bible doesn't teach you that's humility. It teaches you that's deception. You know why we preach it? Because it's people's experience. So when a preacher says that, it means he's living that. I had a pastor say to me, brother, you got to stop saying none of us have secrets. We don't all have secrets and you don't have any secrets. Man, dude, he said, everybody has things in their life and hang ups and secrets. I said, wow, so what's yours? Do, you need, do we need to talk? <laughs> Because you concern me. You're pastoring. What are you talking about? That's a cop-out. That's a justification for your flesh. People say, well, yeah, but we all have our moments. No, that's why you have yours. Because you believe it. And you're hiding behind the language. Take away the runway, and the plane can't land. What happens if the plane can't land? It'll circle. It'll make noise for a while. But sooner or later, we'll run out of gas, crash, and be no more. If you take away the landing strip, then that plane can't come in. But if you just say, oh, well, we all have our moments. We'll get over it. That's the way it is in our home. We've just learned to get through it. Hurting yourself. And you're deceiving yourself. And you're binding the truth. How do we really know what's possible to become if we really live by faith and let grace and powers to the highest degree? Who has even seen what it's possible to be through what he paid for? Like what measure of grace? Where's the limit? What is available? Why should we decide following one another when we're called to follow him? Come on, you can't get around this. Even if you're an argumentative person, the word will shout you down. Because I'm telling you, I'm about to crush this thing. So you have no idea how bad I'm going to crush this lot. Like, you probably don't have an idea. I've read this book. And better yet, I've believed it. This message is, which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. Who's God? Who's, where's God live? In you. And in him is no darkness at all. New King James, baby, bring it on. Go ahead. If we say we have fellowship, co-union, communion with him, intimacy and relationship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, 
Why? Because we're not guilty. We're not hiding. We're not introverted. We're not living in secret. We have open face intimacy and communion because our consciences are crystal clear because we're walking in the light as he's in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And look, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, what's it do? So what were you just cleansed of? How much sin? So in verse 7, would you agree you were just cleansed of all sin? Okay, through the what? Blood of Jesus. Now watch this one-liner that pastors pull out all the time. Next verse. If we say we have no sin, what's he saying? If you say you have no need of the blood, what sin? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every man is on the same plane of righteousness. He's talking about the blood of Jesus cleansing us of all sin. You're just cleansed of all sin. He's not talking about you living in a conscious state of committing sin. He's not saying you're sinning while you're breathing, and if you don't admit it, you're lying. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth's not in us. Why? Because every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What he's saying is if you say you have no need of the blood, you'll see how true this is. Next verse, watch. But if we confess our sins and we say, hey, I've missed the mark. Wow, that was selfish. Man, shouldn't have did that. Oh, my goodness. And you're sincere. What's the blood of Jesus do? He's faithful and just to. Okay, so you were cleansed of. All sin, in verse 7, now you're forgiven of sin, same thing, and to, and to cleanse us. Now you're cleansed from how much? So if I'm cleansed from all unrighteousness, what's remaining? Righteousness. If he's the Lamb of God that takes away sin and he forgave me of all sin, am I guilty of sin? Am I standing in the position of sin? Ah! Oh! If Now he clarifies verse 8. If we say we have no sin. If he just says, if you say you have no need of the blood and you've never sinned and you make apple pies for the neighbor and rake their leaves and do good deeds and you don't have no need for the blood, you're deceived. He clarifies it. If we say we have, that's verse 8 repeated. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Because he said, yes, you have all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And his word is not in us. Now watch. Next verse, chapter 2, verse 1. This is amazing. Yeah, I know I threw one on you there. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Yeah, she can't scroll that. Thank you, dear. You guys are good, really. To tolerate me the way I preach, you are, I'll make you good. <laughs> no, you're, you're good. Watch, watch. Do you think... That John's writing that we're always going to sin and we always have sin. And if we say we don't always have sin, we're lying. No. He's saying the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sin, forgives us of all sin, and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Because watch what he just said. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may. Well, you blasphemer, John. Don't you know that everybody sins and nobody's perfect? And all What are you saying, John? You don't sin. Are you perfect? You get it? He's talking about living in a state of righteousness. He's not even talking about the act of sin. He's talking about the consciousness of righteousness that begins to empower and remove the act of sin. He's not talking about perfection. He's talking about righteousness. Yeah? I write these things to you, little children, so you may not sin. He doesn't say when and when you do. And what's he say? You better not miss this language because the pastor that says, yeah, but brother, if you say you have no sin, you're deceived. The truth ain't in you. He said, the reason I'm writing this chapter isn't to condemn you of sin. It's to tell you you're free from it. And I'm writing these things so you don't sin. 
It's right here. It's dangerous and terrible to pull one-liners out and make them say something they're not saying in context. There's movements out there that Christians call cults. If you take their pamphlets and read them, if you studied in the Word, you'll, you'll understand it. See, I'm the wrong guy to knock on the door and give me one of those pamphlets and tell me I'm missing something. I need to come over into this and I need to this. And the one man said, well, you're robbing yourself because you're only reading the Bible and not reading this book. And, and I don't mean, hate them and I don't need to upstage them, but I promise you, I have filled my heart with the Word. And I said, well, let me see your pamphlet, friend. He gave me the pamphlet and I read. And I said... This came from here and here. And do you know what it says in front and behind this? And I quoted the scriptures in context. They pulled out five lines out of the Bible to stay a sentence out of five different places. They used five lines to make a sentence that wasn't saying anything they were saying in the respective place. But they had everybody brainwashed because they're reading it strategically written. I had them boys leave my house shaking and trembling and didn't even know what they believed anymore. And I followed him. I crawled over my railing and went down the sidewalk. And I said, listen, don't you knock on a neighbor's door of mine in this neighborhood until you're sure of what you believe. Because you don't even understand Jesus is Lord, my friend. And I just right down the sidewalk with him. <laughs> the next day, senior elders knocked on my door. And I looked and God will give you wisdom. And I said, wow, hey, guys. And they said, hey, we're here. To... I said, you know, yeah, it seems awesome. Thanks for coming. I said, you know what's sad about you being here? You're not here because you have any interest in what I said to them boys. You just want to know how to better to train them against a fellow like me. It's the only reason you came and they put their heads down a little bit. I said, you know I'm right. Tell me if I'm wrong. And they didn't say anything. I said, that means I'm right. And then I said, let me tell you what I told them boys and what had them so shook up. And I know it got you concerned because you've trained them against every comeback. I don't have a comeback. I have Jesus. I have truth in me. I'm filled with fire. I'm not a debater. I care about those kids. And they were talking half truth. And they were talking from a place that and I, was, I could have cried for them. My wife was in the house interceding, praying in tongues for those boys. And I took time with them. And they left shook. And their elders came. So they could better prepare against a fellow like me. But there ain't no way to do that. Because what I did was I invited them to my home group. And they came. And they experienced words of knowledge. They experienced baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they experienced people getting healed in my living room. So what are you going to say about that? The only thing you can say is, you're of the devil. And that's a sad position to take. Be very careful with that. The blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is attributing his work to the devil. Read your Bible. And resisting what he's doing and calling it something else. It's a fleshly cop out. And it's deception. And in the end, it's unforgivable because it allows you to never change. Whew. And if, I'm sorry. You, and if, and if, not when, if anyone sins, guess what we have? An advocate with the Father. Who's he? Jesus the righteous. Now you can do that next one, dear. It's, this is so good. And he himself is the propitiation of the mercy over our sins. And not yours only. This is why an unbeliever can get healed right on the street. Because blood's speaking better things. They still need to repent. They still need to get born again. 
But don't you tell me an unbeliever can't be healed. I've seen it way too much. I've seen people say, I don't believe in healing. We say, that's okay. Just let us pray. We do. I was in a Rite Aid, and the man said, sorry, ma'am. He was the manager, and I'm telling him what I wanted to do. He has this big splint. He's totally numb. And, and I said, listen, man. And I'm talking, and he said, well, we got one problem with everything you're saying. And I said, what? I thought he was going to say, I'm the manager, and I can't let you pray for me because I have employees. Blah, blah, blah. He said, I have a problem. I said, what problem? He said, I don't believe anything you're saying. I didn't even blink. I said, well, that's okay. I believe. Just give me your hand, man. And it threw him because he's expecting me. He's expecting to get rid of me. And it didn't even phase me. And then he got a little flustered, and I said, what, do you think you were going to throw me with that? <laughs> Buddy, I'm a believer. Like, if I don't think anything's going to happen, I'm a fool to stop you. If I already know nothing's going to happen, why am I even stopping you? And pl- and get- why would I do that? I just try to come after your soul, not pray for healing. I just try to get- see if you violated the Ten Commandments and try to get you to pray a prayer or something. <laughs> if I didn't believe it would happen or could happen, why would I... Right? And he said, well, listen, I need to go. I got to get back to work. Don't you hear him call me over to photography? I said, no, I didn't know they were calling you, sir. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interfere with your performance, your job, your managing. I just wanted to bless you, sir. I said, listen, on your way over to the photograph booth, you ought to just check your hand, okay? Because this guy coming is my friend, and we're going to pray. And I believe it's coming alive. On his way to the booth, his hand comes completely alive. Watch. It's his store. He's managing it. I didn't throw the atmosphere of the store. I didn't get obnoxious and stand on a desk and preach the gospel with a bullhorn. I just tried to love one manager. But he started it. He lifted his voice in the right aid and yelled across the floor, amazed, and said, now you have me afraid. Now I'm very afraid. And I said, talk to me, man. What's up? He said, you're freaking me out, man. How's this possible? My whole hand's alive and I can feel everything. I said, I said, listen, man. And I raised my voice to his octave. Because he really is giving me permission. So you might as well take over the store. So I said, well, listen, man. Just because you don't believe in God doesn't make him not real. And he loves you, man. And he just showed you. And there's something about being a believer. And I said... This fellow lives in this town. I said, can he come back and talk to you? Because we got to run. Would you receive a visit from him? He said, please, dude, you're freaking me out. And I shared a little bit with him more. And we had to roll. You say, you didn't. You had him on the ropes. He's already on the ropes. So to this day, to my knowledge, it's still one of the talks of the town, of the testimony that got everybody's attention because people knew the man. We have a guy in a town who was diabetic, no, liver, no uh, kidney function, total dialysis, in a wheelchair, diabetes, terrible bad. And he's the guy that comes to the convenience store and sips coffee out front in the wheelchair. He's diabetic, whoever. And now he walks in with no wheelchair. And they go, what's up with you? These people prayed for me in the name of Jesus. He's completely transformed my life. I'm not even on dialysis. I'm piggy. That's what he tells them. I'm pee. They said, what? He said, my bladder's working. My kidneys are functioning. My sugars are normal. And I'm strong. How can this be? They said, how can this be? Because some men prayed for me in the name of Jesus. Talk of the town. 
Wonder if we start living that way and wonder if we multiply those stories by the faces I'm looking at. You say, well, wonder if it doesn't change and happen. You've loved somebody. So if love never fails, don't fail to love. You got to sow a seed. You got to plow some ground. You got to get out there and start showing people you really care and you actually believe. You say, well, I'm going through sickness. I can't pray for the sick. That's exactly why you can. You say, well, that'll make me a hypocrite. No, a hypocrite is a game player and a mask wearer. That's not what you're doing. If you're sick, praying for the sick, guess what you're saying? I'm letting, not, not letting my sickness determine what I believe. Jesus' life already settled that. I pray for the sick because I believe he's the healer. I'm in position and I'm believing for you. On one of the most impaired, quote, sickest days of my life, I had no use of my natural leg for 10 days. I watched eight people healed that were prayed for countless times, supernatural healed because it didn't deter a thing. I'm not going to let my leg determine God. God determines my leg. You get it? That's a whole nother thing. That's. Uh, you all got patience with me. You all right. I'm talking to up there. Let's do Hebrews 10 real quick. I got to finish. I got to wrap this up. It's, it's 20 till nine. Are we too late? Are we about done? We need to, what time do we, nine? Nine-ish? Nine-ish? Okay. Hebrews 10, I want you to see this. Okay, just leave Hebrews 10 there because we're going there. I'll quote, <laughs> forgive me, Colossians 1 around verse 20. It says, you and me were alienated to God, Right? By the wicked way our mind worked, it made us alienated with God, yet he reconciled us through his death. So you and I were thinking wrong, and that's what made us alienated, because we didn't think like God thought. He's not talking always about murder, robbery, adultery. Just thinking for yourself is total perversion. Just living for you, total perversion, if you're created for the kingdom and created for his image, right? So watch this. You were alienated, I was alienated, and enemies with God by the wicked works in our mind. Yet now he reconciled us through the body of his death to present us holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith and are not moved away from the hope in which you've heard. What's he saying? It's the way God will see you if you believe it. And the only thing that can keep you from being that way is not being that way in your faith and standing there and becoming a good tree so the fruit can manifest. He said, you're holy, blameless, and above reproach. So do we wake up and try not to sin? Or do we wake up and rejoice we're His? Do we read books on how to live the Christian life? Or we just enjoy being His? You just sit on your bed and thank God that you're pure. That you're holy, that you're above reproach, that he's not mad at you or disappointed at you, and that while you were yet a sinner, he loved you, and now he filled you with his very life and spirit, and he's all about empowering you to shine. Wow, God, I'm so glad I'm home, and I'm so glad you're my father. What would have happened to a Christian if nobody's around, and he actually would be saying things out of his mouth like this when nobody's around, man? Wow, Father, I so thank you for the way you love me. I so appreciate how you see me pure in your sight, how you've washed me clean of everything I've ever done. God, I thank you. I'm not a mistake waiting to happen or a failure from yesterday. I'm a son in the making, and your spirit is alive and well in me, and I thank you for your unstoppable love. <laughs> Wonder if people start talking like that and praying like that instead of praying for the car to run better and a green light and a better parking spot at Walmart. 
probably ought to park in the back now and then. Somebody has to. For the law. For the law. Having a shadow of good things to come. Just a shadow. The law was just a shadow of what was coming. The Old Testament is pointing to Christ. The whole Bible, the focal point of the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you can't find Jesus in your interpretation of the Old Testament, keep looking. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things, can never, can never, with the same sacrifice, I mean the bulls, the goats, the lambs, the turtle doves, can never... <laughs> with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect you have to realize this is a contrast thing he's writing you'll see it he's telling you the law is a shadow of the thing to come and then he's talking about the thing that comes so if the first one couldn't the second one can so the first one can't make those who approach perfect so the second one can what? Make those who approach perfect, holy, blameless, above reproach. Okay, scroll with me, thanks. For then, if they were the answer and they could have done this and accomplished it, wouldn't they have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified, once purified, whoa, would have no more consciousness of sin. So if the first one couldn't take away the consciousness of sin, guess what the goal of the second is? Does that sound like, well, yeah, but brother, we're always going to sin. You're never going to be free from sin. You're not perfect. I mean, what are you saying? You're perfect? What are you telling me? You don't sin? Is that the point? Is that the language he's looking for? Or is that deception? See? That's consciousness of sin. If you wake up and try not to sin, what are you going to be conscious of? Your performance, failure, what you need to... But if you wake up and rejoice in righteousness and enjoy your His and start letting your heart grow in truth and let the tree become good, all of a sudden you'll begin to automatically start producing fruit contrary to your former actions. That's how you swallow up the lie with the truth. People come to me crying as a pastor. I need to tell you what I did. That's good. Get in confession. Take ownership, right? But don't get condemned and lose your name. So they'll come to me and say, man, I need to tell you what I did. I know I've been coming to the church for about a year, but I just... <laughs> and I'm glad to see those tears. They're sincere. They're broken, but you don't want to take them, crush them. So I usually say, wow, I'm so impressed to see how the gospel's purified your heart. And they'll go... Purified my heart. Didn't you hear what I just said I did? Oh, I heard what you said you did, but I see who you are. And I see what you're becoming. And if you're not careful, you're going to take what you did and attach it to who you are and miss what God's doing inside of you because you're crying about things you didn't care about before. You're well on your way. Yeah? See, I'm a, I'm a good pastor, I'm telling you. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more... Go ahead. But in those sacrifices, there's a... Uh, so every year, they had to come, poor little turn, priest, bell, the rope, holy holies, the bell to stop ringing. Ah, next priest! <laughs> next in line! <laughs> Boy, the bells were ringing then. <laughs> Four. Verse 4. For it is not possible, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. That means the blood of Jesus what? Go ahead, verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, who's he talking about? 
Jesus. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offering and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the that couldn't to establish the second that by that will. We have been set apart with a holy calling through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sin. See, you just saying, I'm sorry. You just saying, I'm sorry. Three days later, saying, I'm sorry. Four days later, saying, I'm sorry. It's the same thing. As soon as you know you're sorry, you rejoice that your heart's alive. You rejoice that you have a conscience that's alive. You rejoice that you're not seared, that you're not numb, that you're not dull. And as soon as you know you're sorry, you look up and you go like this. Wow, Father, you've put a truth in me. You're doing a work in me. Man, there was a year ago I'd have done that. I wouldn't even blink. And now it's got my attention. That is so not who you are in me and who I am in you. God, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes me, cleanses me, and makes me wiser and sharper. I am so ready to run. And you keep fathering me, Lord. Keep fathering me. Yeah? That sure beats depression, discouragement, lost identity, and three days of backsliding. <laughs> Next verse, please. But this man, whoa, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of... Does this sound like, well, yeah, but brother, you're always going to sin. You're never going to be perfect. You know what you're going to sin. What are you trying to say? You don't sin. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, we'll finish here. For by one offering, and then if you could, Romans 6, and I'm done. Romans 6, we're going to do the whole chapter. It'll be so fun. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being. By one sacrifice, he has forever. Those who are being set apart and built up in a holy calling. Now, how clear is that? Does it sound like you're waking up destined to sin? Or does it sound up you're waking up destined to be righteous in his sight? Seek ye first the and his. What's that mean? Seek his kingdom and how the king functions on the earth and how he sees you and how he judges you. So that you can run well in him. That's how all these things are added unto you. Because you stay in tune with the righteous judgment of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Man, you guys are like, bam. Okay, you don't have to go there. The end of 5 says that where sin abounded, grace did abound. Paul knows how people are going to think, and they're going to preach some greasy, easy grace thing. And then this camp's going to swing the pendulum and put red flags out, and new believers will get confused and won't know what to believe. And then you'll say, do you know, Dan, we're always just one of them grace preachers. Is that what I am? You haven't listened very long. Yeah. Had one pastor at home. A friend said, why don't you just listen to him? He said, well, I did, but he doesn't believe he ever sinned, so I turned it off. He didn't listen very long. See, people will hear what they want to hear. 
Jesus said, be careful how you hear. <laughs> yeah. What shall we say then? If sin abounds, grace abounds much more. What shall we say then? Watch, I'm going to show you you didn't pray a prayer to go to heaven. This is amazing. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not! Exclamation point, Siri. Put it there, baby. Bam! Right? <laughs> How shall we who died to sin? You didn't pray a prayer to go to heaven. You died to sin, the perversion of the fall of man, separation from God, self-centered living, the desires and draws of the flesh. You died to everything you ever were so that all he is can come alive in you. Yeah? You did not pray a street corner prayer in case you die tonight. You want to go to heaven. You died to sin. Don't you sell people short. Teach them some quick prayer. And then they come out of the bar three weeks later with a woman on arm that's not their wife. And you try to pray it with them again. And they say, hey, I'm covered. I prayed that prayer with some dude last week. And you're walking around evangelistic telling me you got all these fish. Or do you not know? Pay attention to that phrase because you're going to see it four times. Sometimes we don't know. He just told us we died to sin. We died to sin. Or do, Does that sound like, well, brother, you're always going to sin. What are you saying? You're perfect. You're freaking me out. What do you mean you died to sin? It's God's word. You don't have a problem with me. Amen. I'm going to prove it. I'm not going to say one thing that his word's not saying. You'll see it. This is so powerful. You won't let nobody cheat you again. Or do you not know? Some people don't know. That as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Question mark. What's his death? We'll find out in a moment. But you were baptized into it. Therefore, because this is true, we were buried with him through baptism into death. What's his death? We'll find out. That's amazing. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united together, and there it is again, three verses in a row, we better find out what his death is, the likeness of his death. We've been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly, we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. See, he's not just telling you to die to something. He's telling you to live to something. Yeah. Knowing this, knowing this, see how important it is to know? You're destroyed for the lack of... Well, brother, what you don't know won't hurt you. Eh. Knowing this, that our old man, our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. That's its language. That's its stain. That's its reminder. That's its effects. That's its memories. And that's its desires. For we... Oh... Is God a blasphemer? Is he a heretic? Or is his word true? Then you ought to bear with me a little and watch this. Yeah, I might even get you to say this. For he who has died. See, you didn't pray a prayer to go to heaven. You died to yourself. If any man come after me, let him first deny. He who has really done that is what? What's the Bible say? The Bible. What's the Bible say? Does that sound like, well, brother, you're always going to sin. You're never going to be perfect. You know, what are you saying? You don't sin? What are you if you die to yourself? 
Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing, third time, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Watch. Now you're going to find out the death you were baptized into. He's going to tell you what the death is. For the death that he died, that you were baptized into a burden, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11 is amazing. Likewise, you, you reckon yourselves to be dead. Yeah, but brother, you're always going to sin. You know you're always going to sin. What are you trying to say? You're perfect. What are you trying to say? You don't have no sin. You see how deceived and twisted that is? It's false humility and it's not the gospel. Because your life will never change unless you get rid of the consciousness of sin. If you believe you're a sinner, you'll continue to sin. You'll justify it and you'll have no platform for repentance because you'll think that's what you are. Likewise, you <laughs> reckon, see, he's talking to believers. Be believers. You reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. So are you waking up trying not to sin, or are you waking up alive in God through Christ Jesus? 1 Peter chapter 1 says this. No, it's 1 Peter chapter 2. You know what it says? It says, he died and bore your sin and my sin in his body on a tree. That we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, and by his stripes, we are healed. How many times do we have to read, die to sin, dead to sin, no consciousness of sin, once and for all, perfected forever? I write these things to you, little children, so you do not sin. Yeah, but brother, you're always going to sin, you know. We are boasting in something that he conquered and destroyed. You should be boasting in righteousness. Not in the boasting sense we know boasting. What I mean is you should be proclaiming it and rejoicing in it. <sighs> Likewise, you do this. Verse 12, please. Let's just scroll. Let's just read because the word's so amazing. Therefore, why would you ever let? Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You weren't created for it. That you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments. That's what's... Well, you know you're always going to sin. We never... You know what he's saying? You're perfect, brother. That's called presenting your members as instruments. That's you waking up thinking your sin waiting to happen. I had a guy say to me, Dan, you're off track on this. You don't understand. We all sin. We always sin. We're probably sinning right now. That's what he said. I said, you probably ought to get born again. I had another person say, but we're sinning while we're breathing. It's just our nature. I said, I don't have a dual nature. The spirit of God lives in me. There's not a war down inside of me. There's a war that tries to happen in my members. You can subdue it and you can win it. Read your Bible. There's nowhere it says I have to miss it. In fact, 1 Peter 2 says, if I do these things in my life and add these things to my life, I will never stumble. James says, if I don't stumble in word, I'm a perfected man. I'm perfected in love and I'm a complete man and I'm not stumbling in things. If I don't stumble in speech, then I'm not stumbling in anything. I become a complete man, and I'm a mature man. Yeah. Life. Yeah. You see what's wrong with me? It's all I speak. Life all the time. I speak life all the time. All the time. I 
preach to myself. I'd preach to a tree, man. I'd be like, you're so amazing. <laughs> Look at your bark. It's so unique. I'd wave my branches too if I were you worship him. <laughs> Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Don't. But present yourselves to God as being alive. Wonder if you'd wake up in the morning and do this and actually wake up and present yourselves as members of God and your instruments to righteousness. Thank you, Lord. Good morning. I know you never slumber. You were waiting on me. So good to see you, Lord. Hey, <laughs> serious. Don't you talk to him like that? I so appreciate your love in my life, and I just present myself. Yeah, thank you. I'm not failure waiting to happen. I thank you, God, that your strength in me is greater than the weakness of any man's flesh. I thank you, God, that you've empowered me. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. You are so my best friend. Yeah. Wow, that's a long way down. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Wow. Ah! And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now watch this. It gets better and better. For sin shall not have dominion. Now he knows how people think, see. For sin shall not have dominion over you. So even if you fall into weakness, even if you're walking along the way, and you, right? It's not about failing. It's the privilege of becoming. So it's not the end of the road. You're under grace. So what's that mean? It means you're sincere. You're not trying to sin. You didn't find a way to sin and get away with it. You found a way to be free from it. So if you stumble, you go, wow, Lord, that is not so, so not who you crave me to be. Thank you for the truth that's working in my life that's exposing these things because I used to not even blink at that, and I thought it was normal. I thought it was common to men, but it's not common to your kingdom, and your kingdom's in me. Thank you for washing me, making me wiser, sharper. Man, I'm ready to run today. Thank you, God, for your grace. For sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under the law, you're under grace. What shall we say then? Shall we sin because we're under the law and not under, or not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. We already established that. You're not sinners saved by grace. You died to sin. You're alive unto God. Do you not know? Man, the Bible's awesome. Let it get in your face. Do you not know? This is good news. This isn't reprimand. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself a slave to obey? Watch. Well, we're always sinners. We're always going to sin. What are you saying? You're perfect. You never sin. You're making yourself a slave to that comment. And you're justified in your weaknesses because it's what you are. So how about making the tree good so the fruit can be good? Or you make the tree bad and the fruit's bad, but you know them by their fruit. So you see what a man believes and understands by what he produces. You know them by their fruits. It's proven. You could, you could look this, you could check into this if you wish. It's, it's not pretty. The people that preach the raw holiness stuff and fire and brimstone, and God saw that and you're going to hell, are the ones that get exposed with the most horrendous sins in their life. And live in unbelievable, unthinkable things behind the scenes. Because they have no revelation of grace and mercy. And they become the very thing they're believing. Do you not know? Don't we know? If you give yourself to an identity, you're going to serve that thing? And, and, and if it's sin leading to death and 
If it's obedience leading to righteousness, it's going to happen one way or the other. What you give yourself to is what you're going to manifest. That's what he Go ahead. 17, please. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. Oh, watch this. That form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Some people were never delivered this. They were always told they're going to fail. They were always told they better be glad God considers them. They better be glad that God sent his son and died on the cross to save a wretch like you because you're always led to believe you always have to be a wretch. Not everybody was delivered this doctrine. They handed me a mic. I'm making sure I deliver it. I know he preaches it. But if you're visiting here, you can't say you haven't heard it. And you can't say I haven't shown you. They are not my sermon notes. That is the word of God and there ain't no way around it. It would just take stiff, hard-hearted rebuttal to try to get around this. Watch this. And having been, past tense, what? Say it, it feels good. <laughs> having been what? Oh, now come on, Rock City. You know you're always going to sin. What are you saying? You're perfect? What are you saying? You never sin? Man, I'm preaching so good. <laughs> Having been what? What have you become? You have fun with that and study that out. You know what it means? I'm bound and chained to serve its testimony. My only response to the cross is I've become bound and chained to serve the righteous testimony of his blood. Righteous in his sight is my only plea before the judge. What do you please, sir? Righteous. Yeah, but you and you and I remember a day. Righteous. I speak in human terms because the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves for uncleanness and you were bound to just keep doing it because you believed in it. And the lower your esteem, the more you live up to the low value of your life. That's where addictive behaviors come from. Almost all addictive behaviors are attached to a crushed identity and a low esteem. No value. You don't value yourself. So you live up to the low level in which you see yourself. And of lawlessness. And the cycle of that is. The more you live up to it. And the more things you do. You prove what you believe. And it's the vicious cycle of condemnation and destruction. And of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now. So now. Are we living in the now? Were we in that former place before? So now. <laughs> Remember, men and brethren, what shall we do? So now, present your members as slaves of righteousness. Every day you wake up and thank God you're holy and pure in His sight. Thank God He washed you and accepted you in the beloved. Thank God you're clean, right? Now watch. Present yourselves as slaves unto righteousness. And what's righteousness bring forth? Holy, blameless, above reproach. So watch this. If I wake up and believe the righteous testimony of blood and stand in the presence of God righteous without any sense of guilt, condemnation, shame, and believe I'm a righteous tree, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified, guess what? Holiness is the fruit in my life without me biting my lip trying to be holy. Grace changes me through faith. And I believe I've been righteous, so there's righteousness all over my tree. And all of a sudden, I'm living a holy life without the works of holiness. And then who gets all the glory? Because you are what you are by the 
So there's no super Christian. We're believers. Or you can have attitude and get mad and get offended and blame. And he said, she said, that's your choice. Or you can believe and get free. First from you. And then the end result of you being free from you, you're free from everybody else. The sign of me being free from me is when I'm free from you. Yay. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you can't break my heart, frustrate me, get on my nerves, get under my skin. Irritate me, agitate me. Why? Because I see who you are. You've been made for the blood. And whether you realize it or not, you're worthy of his blood and worthy of his love. So, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And all of a sudden, instead of getting frustrated, I have mercy. Instead of crying because of you, I'll cry for you. It's pretty simple. For when we were slaves of sin, we were free in regard of righteousness. What fruit did you have in the things which you're now ashamed of for the end of those things is certain death? I threw the word certain in there because it's there. But now, here we go again, third time. He's on to something. Now the mouths of two or more, every word's confirmed and established. But now having been... This is not my sermon notes. This is Romans 6, verse 22. And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to... And the end? Yeah? Come on. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. You have been listening to an audio message from Dan Moeller presented at Rock City Church in the beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. Thank you so much for taking time to listen. Please visit us whenever you're in town. And our prayer is that you'll continue to be inspired and wind-driven in all that you do.